Paul's letter to the Philippians. The church in Philippi was the first Jesus community Paul started in Eastern Europe, and that story is told in Acts chapter 16. Philippi was a Roman colony in ancient Macedonia. It was full of retired soldiers, and it was known for its patriotic nationalism. And so there Paul faced resistance when he was announcing Jesus as the true king of the world. And after Paul moved on from there, those who became followers of Jesus continued to suffer resistance and even persecution, but they remained a vibrant community faithful to the way of Jesus. Paul sent this letter from one of his many imprisonments, and for a very practical reason. The Philippians had sent one of their members, Epaphroditus, to take a financial gift to Paul to support him in prison. And Paul sent back this letter with Epaphroditus to say thank you and to do a whole lot more. The design of this letter doesn't develop one single idea from beginning to end like many of Paul's other letters. Rather, Paul has arranged a series of short, reflective essays or vignettes, and they all revolve around the center of gravity in this letter, which is a poem in chapter 2. It artistically retells the story of the Messiah's incarnation, his life, death, and resurrection, and exaltation. And then in each of these vignettes, Paul will take up key words or ideas from that poem to show how living as a Christian means seeing your own story as a lived expression of Jesus's story. So Paul opens the letter with a prayer of gratefulness, and he thanks God for the Philippians' generosity, for their faithfulness, and he expresses his confidence that the life-transforming work that God has begun in them will continue into greater and more beautiful expressions of faithfulness and love. And Paul then focuses on their obvious concern at the moment, which is his status in prison. Being in a Roman prison was no picnic, but it paradoxically has turned out for good to advance the good news about Jesus. So all of the Roman guards, the administrators, they all know that Paul's in prison for announcing Jesus as the risen Lord. And his imprisonment, it's inspired confidence in other Christians to talk about Jesus more openly. And Paul's optimistic that he will be released from prison, but it's possible that he could be executed. And as he reflects on it, that actually wouldn't be so bad because for me, Paul says, life is the Messiah. And so dying would be a gain. For Paul, his life in the present and in the future, it's defined by the life and love of Jesus for him. And so if he's executed, that means he'll be present with Jesus, which would be great for him. And if he's released, well, that would mean he could keep working to start more Jesus communities, which would be better for other people. And so that's what he hopes for. And notice how his train of thought works here. Dying for Jesus is not the true sacrifice for Paul. Rather, it's staying alive to serve others. And so that's Paul's way of participating in the story of Jesus, to suffer in order to love others more than himself. Paul then turns to the Philippians and he urges them to participate in Jesus' example by taking up this same mindset. He says, your life as citizens should be consistent with the good news about the Messiah. So these Christians in Philippi, they were living in a hotbed of Roman patriotism, but their way of life was to be shaped by another king, Jesus. And that might bring persecution, but they are not to be afraid because suffering for being associated with Jesus, it's a way of living out the story of Jesus himself. Which leads Paul into the great poem of chapter 2. It's rich with echoes of Old Testament texts, specifically the story of Adam and his rebellion in Genesis 1-3, through 3, and the poems about the suffering servant in the book of Isaiah. 
This poem is worth committing to memory. It is a beautifully condensed version of the gospel story. So before becoming human, the Messiah pre-existed in a state of glory and equality with God. And unlike Adam, who tried to seize equality with God, the Messiah chose not to exploit his equal status for his self-advantage. Rather, he emptied himself of status. He became a human. He became a servant to all. And even more than that, he allowed himself to be humiliated. He was obedient to the Father by going to his death on a Roman execution rack. But through God's power and grace, the Messiah's shameful death has been reversed through the resurrection. And now God has highly exalted Jesus as the king of all, bestowing upon him the name that is above all names, so that all creation should recognize that Jesus the Messiah is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now that last statement is astounding. Paul's quoting from Isaiah chapter 45. It's a passage where all creation comes to recognize the God of Israel as Lord. Paul's point here is very clear. In the crucified and risen Jesus, we discover that the one true God of Israel consists of God the Father and the Lord Jesus. And so for Paul, this poem, it expresses his convictions about who Jesus is, and it does more. It offers the example of Jesus as a way of life that his followers are to imitate. And so that's why Paul immediately goes on to tell two stories, first about Timothy, then about Epaphroditus, because they are both examples of people living out Jesus' story. So Timothy's like Jesus because he's constantly concerned for the well-being of other people more than his own. And Epaphroditus, who the Philippians sent with their gift, he ended up risking his life to serve Paul in prison. He got so sick he almost died trying to help Paul. But God had mercy on him and Paul by sparing him the loss of a friend. Paul's point here is that these are the kinds of people who are living, breathing examples of the story of Jesus, and they are worthy of imitation. Paul then turns to his own story as an example. So those Christians who had been demanding circumcision of non-Jewish Christians, remember his letter to the Galatians, these people are still stirring up trouble for Paul, and they keep reminding him of his own past. When he used to persecute Jesus' followers, when he tried to show his right standing before God by his zealous obedience to the laws of the Torah. But like Jesus, Paul has given up all of that status and privilege. He now regards all of it as filth. And the word he uses is actually much less polite. He's given it all up to become a servant, like Jesus, to participate in his suffering and sacrificial love. And he does all of it in the hope that Jesus' love will carry him through death and out the other side into resurrection. So Paul says that for followers of Jesus, their true citizenship is in heaven, which for Paul does not mean that we should all hope to get away from earth and go to heaven one day. Rather, heaven is the transcendent place where Jesus reigns as king. And he says we're eagerly awaiting our royal savior to come from there and return here to bring his kingdom of healing justice and transforming love to bring about a new creation. Paul then challenges the Philippians to keep living out the Jesus story. He first addresses two prominent women leaders in the church who worked alongside Paul, and they're in some kind of conflict. And so Paul pleads with them to follow Jesus' example of humility, to reconcile and become unified. Paul then urges the Philippians not to give in to fear, but despite their persecution, to vent all of their emotion and their needs to God, who will give them 
peace. And that peace, Paul says, it comes by focusing your thoughts on what is good and true and lovely. There's always something that you could complain about, but a follower of Jesus knows that all of life is a gift and can choose to see beauty and grace in any life circumstance. Which leads Paul to his conclusion. He again thanks the Philippians for their sacrificial gift, and he wants them to know that his imprisonments, that his times of poverty, that these are not true hardships for him. They've actually become his greatest his teachers, showing him that no matter his circumstances, he has learned the secret of contentment. It's simple dependence on the one who strengthens him. Paul has come to see his own suffering as a participation in the story of Jesus. The letter to the Philippians gives us a unique window into Paul's own heart and mind. He saw his entire life as a reenactment of the story of Jesus. And you can sense in this letter his close connection to Jesus, his awareness that Jesus' love and presence is closer than his own skin. And that's what gave him hope and humility in his darkest hours. And so Paul shows us that knowing Jesus is always a deeply personal transforming encounter. That's the kind of Jesus that Paul invites others to follow. And that's what Paul's letter to the Philippians is all about. Yeah, right? That's a lot. But if you didn't think you were showing up this morning to get an overview on Philippians, surprise, now you've got it. Uh, I was thinking about trying to do that myself this morning and thought, why? <laughs> it's so much better that way. So hopefully you pulled something out of that. Now, this morning we're continuing our series uh, called This Is Us. And what this series is all about is it's looking at IPC as a part of the kingdom and who God is calling us to be and, and what we're doing about it. And last week we talked about our mission statement being that we exist to introduce people to Jesus, to deepen our faith, and to serve others at home and around the world. And, and I talked a little bit about how that mission statement came to be. It's, it's been a mission statement here for a long time, but how it's also very, very based biblically and, and how that's where a lot of it got pulled from. And this week, we're going to talk about two of those things a little bit more in depth, introducing people to Jesus and deepening our faith. Because if we're going to follow the mission not only of IPC, but that God has laid out for us, what we need to do is maybe have sometimes a little bit of practical help on how to do that. We watched that this morning because I'm going to pull some examples from the book of Philippians and Paul's experience this morning. I'm also going to give you a couple of my own personal examples of things that I've done and ways that I've been able to do this or stories that I've seen. And then we're going to take some time for you to turn to whoever's next to you or maybe a couple of people around you, and we're going to get you to work through some of these things too. Now I'll start by saying this. If you've been here for a long time, if you've been a part of IPC at least for a little while, or maybe you're back after a while, or maybe you've just been in faith in Jesus for a while, this isn't going to be too much of a stretch in the sense of understanding it, although my hope is that I stretch you to do something new this morning. If you're being introduced to Jesus this morning, or you're deepening your faith a little bit, that's cool too because there's ways that we can answer these questions that way. So my hope really is this that fits for everybody. So let's talk about that first piece first. It's the introduce people to Jesus part of it. And we've got some examples of how Paul did it, and we'll jump in that for a second. But what I wanted to do is just lay out a few different ideas of ways that we can do that because a lot of times I think when we when we think about introducing people to Jesus, 
we think we need to be some all-knowing apologetic or an evangelist. We need to walk around with our little New Testament in our back pocket, ready to pull it out, quote something, and they say something wildly inspiring. And then if we don't have that ability, then it's hard to introduce people to Jesus. Maybe it's not my job. But as we've seen from some of Paul's examples and a couple of ideas that I'm going to share with you, we can all do this because we're all different. We're all built a little different. And so hopefully we can all find some different ways. So here are three ways that I came up with that I think that we can introduce people to Jesus. And, and most people here should be able to fit to at least one of these categories. You, you certainly don't need to fit into all three, uh, but my hope was that finding one. And if not, we'll have some discussion time a little later on to do that. The first thing that I want to talk about is we introduce people to Jesus by being known for something. By being known for something. Now, there's an example from my life. My uh, parents divorced when I was four, and, and divorces happen all different ways and different kinds, and uh, people react to them in different ways. And my dad was an electrician, and he worked for this company where there was a bunch of other guys, and there was, was one guy or two guys in particular that were really known for their faith in Jesus. They didn't beat people over the head with it, but it was just known. And my dad, before he turned his life over to Jesus in his mid-30s, was the guy that made fun of those guys. I was talking to uh, one of his friends. His name is Tom from back when they worked together. And he told me the story of how my dad used to do, and I knew this, my dad was a jokester. He emceed everything. He did impressions, the whole nine yards. And he would take a couple of skids during their work break, and he would set them up like a stage, and then he would get up and imitate all the guys that worked at the company. And when he got to this particular guy, this particular Christian, he would just crush him. He would mercilessly make fun of this guy, and, and most of the guys laughed along. But this guy was known as a person who followed Jesus. And what was interesting was is when my parents went through the, the divorce and my dad was, was in the middle of turning his life to Jesus, he went to this guy because he didn't know who else to talk to. He knew that this guy was a Jesus follower. He knew that he had gone through a divorce before. And in tears, after making fun of this guy forever, came to this guy and just went, how did you do it? How did this happen? And he humbly set aside everything that was ever said meanly to him by my dad and started setting him up with a way to follow Jesus. He took him off the road, put him in a, uh, in a partnership with another guy in the shop for eight months who he went to church with because he knew that if he just facilitated that relationship, that my dad would be set up. And it's that story, like that's why I'm here, which is really cool for me. This guy didn't preach a lot. He didn't yell and scream. He didn't beat over the head with anybody. But he was known as a Jesus follower. He was known as somebody different. And in the moment where my dad needed something different, that person was available. Paul, same thing. Paul is in prison for, for what he represented. He's in prison for being known <laughs> as somebody who's preaching the gospel. And once he got there, as we saw in the video, and if you read through the book of Philippians, which I would encourage you to do, 
you see a little bit of the story of that prison changing and the culture of it changing. Both the Christians in Philippi who gain a little bit of confidence, but the people keeping him in prison whose hearts begin to change just because of what Paul is known for. So in a second, I'm going to ask you this question. I'm going to ask you, what's something that you are known for in your circles? Work circles, friend circles, family circles. Is this something you're known for? And how do you think that works in your relationship? Second, we can introduce people to Jesus simply by acting different. So I was having a chat with a student from this church a couple of weeks ago. And they were talking to me about their first week of high school. I said, how's it going? And they said, well, you know, I came to this one class and I sat down beside another like new student, grade 9 student, and we were just total opposites. We were complete polar opposites. I was like, hey, how's it going? Nice to see you, whatever. And they were like, and swearing all the time and very grumbly. And I looked at that student and I went, you know what is going to happen here? There's going to be a point because we've all been around that person and sometimes we've been that person. There's going to be a point where that person looks at you and goes, why aren't you grumpy? <laughs> why aren't you just a little bit more upset about the things that are going on? What, where's this outlook come from? And it's just simply by the way you act that an opportunity to introduce Jesus is going to come. Because you don't even need to talk about it. We are supposed to be Christ's representatives in the world. And if you act that way, somebody is going to notice and they're going to ask you about it. Now, Paul did the same thing as we saw. Philippi is a very nationalistic area. A lot of retired soldiers and folks like that. People that were very, very loyal to Rome. And that was the resistance. But one of the things that set Paul apart was that even though he was a citizen, he said, the Roman king isn't the king. The king is bigger than that. He was set apart by acting differently, by worshiping somebody different. That set him apart. We've gone through, I, I'm afraid a little bit to say this, but the last couple of years, some of us have gone through a real struggle with this particular push and pull. Christhood versus national pride. Lots of places in the world have. And Paul reminds us here that it's our view and our worship of Jesus as king that is the primary. So the question here for you is, how do you or can you act differently in the social circles that you're in so that somebody maybe notices and can be introduced to Jesus through the way you act? The third way is you can just go right for it. You can speak to somebody directly, right? Paul's first visit here uh, to Macedonia is this church in Philippi. There's not even a synagogue in this city. There's usually when Paul would go into a city, he would go to the synagogue first, but he didn't because there wasn't one to go to. So he went down by a river where he knew the Jews would worship and he started talking to people there and getting to know the city and from there built it out. He went to that city to evangelize. He went there to talk about Jesus. So the question here is, who can you pray for an opportunity to talk to or do you have somebody in your life where you can do that? So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you about four minutes to sit to the person next to you. Maybe pick one of these or two of them if you have time 
and start working through them. Answer one of these questions. I want you to leave with something practical this morning. So if there's somebody sitting by themselves or, or somebody that you don't know, call them over or tell them to, to yell across an aisle. And let's talk through this stuff a little bit. I'll give you about three minutes and then we're going to come back and we'll turn the page over and we'll talk about deepening our faith. Ready? Go. All right, hopefully you were able to come up with a couple of things. I would encourage you that if you uh, ran out of time to make sure you bring this home and talk it through a little, maybe make it a part of your week or your, your dinner time or routine or whatever it looks like, maybe as a devotional piece this week. Let's talk about that second part of our mission statement to deepen our faith. Let's talk about three ways we can maybe do that. The first way that we see in Paul is surrounding himself uh, with others that are also deepening their faith. Now, although it's his understudy, uh, Timothy's presence in Paul's life certainly can't be overlooked. These two work together a lot. Uh, we see a reference to that story in the middle of Philippians. Uh, we get a, a letter a, a to Timothy, uh, sorry, a couple letters to Timothy, really, from Paul that we read in the New Testament. These two, although one is teaching the other, if you've ever been in a scenario where you're teaching something, somebody something, if your eyes and ears are open, it's really not hard to learn something back. One of the things that I learned from being a youth pastor for as long as I was is that I, wouldn't, I would say this and people would think I was kidding, but I wasn't. If I really paid attention on a, on a Bible study night with a lot of these youth, I learned just as much usually as they did from the things and the ways they were seeing the world and the way they were experiencing their faith as well. And here at IPC, we are trying to set up ways for you to be able to do that. We don't want there to be any excuse for you to not have people to surround yourself to deepen your faith with. And that's why we've set out some of the ministries and programs that we have. Uh, we've got life groups. We've got smaller life groups that kind of like small groups. We've got larger life groups if you want to be with a sort of a more critical mass, a, a bigger group of people. We've got a men's ministry, we've got sisterhood, which is our women's ministry, we've got a handful of other things that you can get involved in. If you want to learn more about those ministries, uh, James sent out a video this week that you can uh, have, we're going to put that on our social medias this week. There's, there's no excuse around here if you don't have that avenue yet to not surround yourself with people in order to deepen your faith. It is one of the best ways you will ever find to do it. So my challenge question to you on that is, one, who are you surrounded by? Now, now the second part of that is important. Who are you surrounded by? That helps your faith deepen. Who are you surrounded by? And is it time to add more people or somebody in general? The second way is you can take a leap into either service or giving. You can do one of those two things. Timothy, uh, uh, Paul, all these guys took leaps of faith, both into service uh, and into sacrifice. One of the reasons that that beginning thankfulness uh, section of Philippians is so impactful is because in prison, Paul is being supported not just emotionally by the church in Philippi, but by being supported financially as well. They're giving him the things that he needs in order to get done the things that he needs to get done. You can do that here, right? You can get involved in one of our ministries, one of the ones that I just mentioned. 
as a leader or our kids ministry or our youth ministry or uh, in our oasis ministry or you can start giving a little bit to the church or you can commit to giving a little more or restart if you took a pause during COVID. There are lots of different ways to get involved through service and through giving. And so my question to you is, where can you take a leap into service in your life right now? Or if you already are, how's that going for you? And is that helping you and others around you deepen your faith? And the third one is that you can actively study Scripture and theological concepts. Now, I put this one third on purpose, not because it's not important to do, but because I I wanted to make sure we highlighted those other two to know that there are multiple ways for us to deepen our faith. Paul's poem in Philippians chapter 2 doesn't happen without a lifelong study of Scripture, without an understanding of the Old Testament and the New Testament and how it all fits together. It's a beautiful poem that sums up the whole gospel story, but without the context and the knowledge of everything that he had, he's not able to write a poem like that. So his study of Scripture and his study of theological concepts is really important. You talk to the session this week, they'll tell you that I gave them, I think, a little bit of a doozy of homework this week at their session meeting that they've got about a month to run through just so we're all growing a little bit together. And so my challenge is that you can be doing that too, whether it's by yourself or with a group. And, and we've got some ways here at IPC for you to do that. You can set up something personal, a learning plan. Maybe it's the Bible app that you go on every morning or an email that you get or something that helps you get into the Word and pray early. Maybe you join the prayer team or you get one of those QR codes at the back so that you can sign on to Right Now Media, which is full of of every Bible study you'd ever want to watch on any topic all over the place. There's no excuse to not be able to learn. Right Now Media is this resource that we have for you freely given so that you can go home and have access to anything you want. So if you go, I'd like to read more, I'd like to learn more, but I don't know where to start, talk to James or talk to me and we will set you up with something uh, through that. Or you can visit our library, which is just over there, it's full of stuff for you to read if you're a reader instead of a watcher. There's tons of different ways for you to dig into Scripture, to learn a little bit more about theological concepts. So here's my challenge to you. How will you create a new rhythm of learning from now until December? What will you do differently? So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you another three or four minutes. Pick one of those things. Chat it out with the people around you. When you're done, the worship team is going to come back up and lead us in our final song as we close the service. Next week is the final week in this series, and we're going to talk about that last part, service to others at home and around the world. We're going to talk about some of the local missions and missionaries that we support and the overseas missions that we support as well. We'll have the Nicaragua team here to talk to them and have you give an update. And of course, afterwards, we're going to have soup. So make sure you don't miss the last week of our series. This is us next week as we talk about the back half of that mission statement. You've got three minutes. Go at it right now. The cool thing about that message is that's the message that we have to give to the world. And the cool thing about the mission of the church is it's, that it's really the same as it's always been that it lines up with the mission of IPC. To introduce people to Jesus, to deepen our faith, 
and to serve others, to tell people about the rescuer that we have so that we are chainless, so that we are no longer broken, and so that others around us can be set free by the love of Jesus as well. There's lots of different ways to do that. You don't have to do it professionally in order to make an impact. You don't have to be an expert. Sometimes you don't even have to be on those front lines. Those supportive roles in the background make just as big of a difference. But I would encourage you, if you're a member of this family, this IPC community, that you take that mission seriously, that you're active about it, that you grasp onto parts of that that you can so that more people know about the rescuer that we have in Jesus. Amen? Okay, let's pray together before our service ends today. God, thank you so much for sending your son Jesus to be our rescuer, to be our bondage breaker, to be the one that showed us the way back to you. Thank you for making relationship with you so accessible and easy. And God, walking with that isn't always the easiest thing to do, but we know that our faith in you transcends everything else in our lives. And so God, as we try to introduce people to Jesus by knowing what we are known for in our circles, by, by talking to people about it directly or by just acting different, God, if we, if we choose to deepen our faith by surrounding ourselves with people, by doing things like giving or serving, or God, just by seeing what you have for us, Lord, I pray that you would set in our hearts something to do, a way to pursue you, so that everybody would know that you are our rescuer. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Thanks so much for being here. Have a great Sunday morning. We'll see you next week.